Hey everybody, welcome to the Athletic Potential Podcast. My name is Mike Matthews. I am your host. Uh, I am the owner and operator of Athletic Potential, where we see uh, athletes of all ages and age ranges. Um, and more specifically myself, I see baseball, softball, volleyball, any type of overhead thrower. In today's episode, we are going to go over uh, lat tears in baseball and repairs, uh, and maybe how to re- rehab those a little bit. Stretching prior to games, arm care, and when to perform certain exercises if you've been pitching a lot, as well as uh, when. what does the research say in regards to youth starting to throw breaking balls. Uh, quick intro of me again. My name is Mike Matthews. I'm a physical therapist and strength coach. I own and operate Athletic Potential, which our main goal with Athletic Potential is really to provide services for those anyone that wants to be able to achieve uh, their athletic goals. Uh, we see a variety of different athletes uh, across different sports. So a quick overview of how this podcast works. We typically have um, a case, we start with a case study and then we move into question and answers and then we kind of finish every episode with a takeaway. So that being said, let's go ahead and get into this episode today. So the case that I've been treating um, that I treated yesterday was a 22 year old pitcher, collegiate baseball pitcher. And average fastball velocity around 92 to 94. And in November of 2022, he suffered a complete lat tear. So where the muscle of, of the lat muscle comes up and attaches by the shoulder, uh, it tore away from the bone. This required a surgery, which happened the month after in December. And then uh, he then ended up starting physical therapy or starting treatment with me in February, once he was allowed and cleared by his physician to get started. Now, he was a kind of a fun transition uh, upon his last visit because we were nearing the four-month mark, which is usually when we'd want to start considering uh, returning to the throw. And any baseball player that's had a prolonged period of time off or not, of not throwing, and then specifically those that have had surgery or anything in regards to a protocol that requires them to progressively return to throwing, uh, they have to they have to pass a return to throw assessment, and so this um, this particular player he's been working uh, essentially since February every day of the week to get to the test day, which was um, just a few days ago, and he was really excited and he was absolutely prepared for the test, which was which is great. And so what we did that day was we went through a a, a full assessment. We looked at his range of motion, we compared him side to side and made sure that those were appropriate. We, we measured strength and make sure that those were appropriate. Um, in regards to strength, um, I did have a question from someone in clinic that they asked, well, what's good enough strength? And, and my answer to them was, uh, with baseball players, I'm not a big fan of saying, oh, they have 90%. Uh, I'm good with that. With baseball players, I really want that dominant arm the throwing arm to be at least as strong as the non-dominant arm, if not stronger. And so my, my uh, personal goal for those patients is not to get back to a certain percentage of strength is to get all of their strength back. And if not make it more strong on the, on the other side. And so, um, so we tested the strength, everything looked good there. We tested range motion and everything looked good there. We then ended up going through an endurance test, a coordination test, and then ultimately had him go through the throwing motion with um, different 
uh, weighted uh, balls to make sure that the arm path was appropriate. He had no irritable structures in his shoulder. All things look good. He passed. The end of the return to throw test is typically throwing uh, either a football or a baseball. And in his case, we went with the baseball. And it's one of my favorite days as a clinician because you, you take a guy who's been grinding, specifically after surgery for four months, he's been grinding, trying to get back, trying to make sure everything's ready to go. And then you give him a glove and you give him a baseball and you tell him to throw it. And they are they turn into little kids again if they're not little kids. I mean, this is a 22-year-old guy, and I couldn't wipe the smile off his face for about 30 minutes. It was it was fantastic. We filmed it. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and, and he's excited, and it's really fun as a clinician to be able to see these guys progress from to the point where they couldn't even move their arm when they first saw me to the point where now they're able to start throwing a baseball and get back to doing that thing that they really love to do. And so as of right now, um, his next steps will be to start an interval throwing program. So the next time he sees me, we're going to go over that. We're going to cover what it means. We're going to cover you know how many throws at what distance and moderate, um, how we're going to um, um, monitor intensity levels and and those type of things. And, and this is the fun part when we get to start throwing again, but it's also a part that needs to be regulated really well because uh, some guys can get into trouble here if they go too hard, too fast, or if they're too tentative and they're not going hard enough, then we can have some problems. So really excited to see how he's going to progress. Um uh, one thing that I, of note on his case, uh, we did in regards to the lat, the lat requires a very specific loading protocol because you can overstress a lot pretty quickly if you're not careful. And so he went through uh, three different progressions in regards to strengthening his lat that he, in, in order to even get close to return to his testing date, he needed to pass off all three progressions. He did. And one of the things that we found, I found interesting during that lap progression is, and it's something we just started doing, um, is instead of just doing what would be considered a normal protocol, which is lap pull downs and eventually integrating into pull ups with a lot of different exercises in between. I, I really, with, in his case, since he's so hypermobile, he has so much range of motion, his, his range of motion in his shoulders is excessive, which isn't a bad thing as long as he can control it. But my worry was that he was going to have not enough control. And so what I, we did with him was integrated core training extensively during the lap loading protocol, meaning the lat attaches up into the shoulder, but then the other attachment is this big, broad attachment down by the lower back. And I really wanted to make sure he had good stability through his lat. And so Every part of his exercise program that included loading his lat, um, except for just doing isolated lat pull downs, incorporated some sort of core stability where he had to create, you know, a, a core and activate his abs and his obliques, and everything had to be stabilized so that when he went to pull with his arm, he was doing so from a stable base, and that would give him more stability in his shoulder over time. And I think we found some really cool insights on how to load the lat, not from just moving the arm and pulling on the arm uh, through lat pulldowns and pull-ups and, and the traditional exercises there, but how we can actually use the core to train the lat um, in a way that will prepare these guys to be able to return to throw. It was a very throwing-specific protocol. So uh, really interested to see how this protocol is going to work for him. I felt like he, he kind of 
it was accelerated as we were able to get his core involved a little bit more and I feel like he he did a really good job of making sure to get the work done but I also feel like the protocol did a great job of of making sure that we worked on a lot of things all at one time uh, and then progressively loaded the lat over time so I'm excited to see his progression return to throw so we'll start doing the interval throwing program this week we'll monitor it over the next uh, two to three months it's a long protocol and hopefully we'll have him throwing bullpens and off a mound here you know, sooner than later. And then live games uh, looks like towards the fall. So um, excited to see how he does. All right. So we're going to move on to question and answers now. So let's go ahead and pull up our first question. The first question is from Matt. And he says, I see my son and daughter both performing stretching with their teams prior to playing in their games. They play softball, baseball and softball respectively. They are the same they are the same stretches that I performed when I was playing. Are there any stretches that you have your players perform prior to playing games? Thanks. Oh, stretching. Um, always a fun topic to discuss. It's usually debated heavily. Some people really want people to stretch before they go out and play and some people don't um, and some people say you have to do certain types. So let me let me walk you through. I think the best way to answer this question is through an example of what we do with our players here at Athletic Potential, and that is they go through a very structured framework of prepping to be able to throw, hit, run, all of those things, and the framework allows us to make sure they get all the things that they need to do or need to be need to prepare uh, prior to going out and playing in a game and not miss anything but very much customize it and the reason i say that is because some people absolutely don't need to stretch prior to going and participating in sport however there are some key principles that i think everybody does need to do and let's cover those right now so um the first thing we have our our athletes do is we kind of want them to target soft tissue. So think muscles. Um, we typically do this in the form of foam rolling, rolling on the cross balls. We have vibrating foam rollers and or balls and other things that kind of allow our athletes to find areas that either are stiff, sore, have knots, whatever you want to call it. They just find these kind of these trigger areas that they have. And we want them to work specifically on those areas for just a few minutes. It doesn't take very long. All of these warm-up routines are designed to be able to do on-field because when they're with us, you know, they have access to all of these things. They're on turf typically. It's you know controlled environment. It's not raining. It's not snowing. Uh, it's not hot. Um, and so, but we want to make sure that they can replicate this when they go and play uh, in their games because that's when it really counts. And so. They're usually using foam rollers or lacrosse balls or some sort of um, self-massage techniques to work on these key areas where they feel like they're stuck or have trigger points. Once they are done with that, then we want them to improve their postural awareness. We typically do this uh, through a foam roll exercise or through a breathing exercise or some sort of core activation drill using a standard um, and a standard for us is a wall, a foam roller, any of those type of things. Um, and once they're done with the postural awareness, they then will go into what we call active mobility. 
And that is we really want them to start. This is where a lot of people look at it and go, oh, this is they're stretching. And, and to me, yes and no, because they don't ever do what we call static stretch. They don't just sit and reach towards their toes. They're not necessarily pulling their arms across their body or up behind their head. They're not doing those type of things. They are actively moving into positions while having to maintain certain other positions. So the example would be we do what we call uh, an adductor rocking uh, mobilization. So they're in all fours, hands and knees. Uh, I'll put this in the show notes and I'll link to the video. But they, they, uh, they're hands and knees and they kick one leg out to the side and then they basically try to take their butt back to their heel. And they're not allowed to, to allow their back to, to arch or, or, sorry, arch or flex. And what this is doing is one is mobilizing their hips and getting their hips loose. And two, it's teaching them to move their hips independent of spinal movement or to create spinal stability, which is really important in sport. And so that is what we do next was we call an active mobility routine. The other thing I really like about the active mobility routine is it starts tuning their brain up a little bit. They have to focus on these exercises to be able to make sure they're doing them correctly. They don't do a lot. It's usually about 10 repetitions per exercise. They do about three to four to five different mobility exercises. They try to keep it pretty limited and, and just to really have them focus on certain things because I, I feel like some guys and, and some athletes can definitely overdo this. And so um, we only have them do three or four or five, depending on you know how tight they are or how tight they feel or how much they've been playing. But we kind of give them a guideline there. So it's active mobility. So uh, to start from the beginning, we do uh, foam rolling um, to improve soft tissue mobility. We then do postural awareness. Now we're into the active mobility phase of this. Once they're done with active mobility, we then have them go through a dynamic warm-up. Uh, they usually go about 15 to 20 yards doing different movements. Um, you see a lot of teams doing this. This is pretty commonplace now. They're going through set positions and reaching and and moving. And the key is that you start in this dynamic progression, you start simple. So we start with the knee to a chest, you know, walk, knee to chest, walk, knee to chest. And the movement only should happen at the hip and not at the lower back. And they do, you know, 15 yards and then come back, same thing. And then we'll move into, um, our one is an overhead lunge. So it's a lunge with an overhead reach. From there, they'll go 15 yards and 15 back. From there, we go into what I call spiders, which is a combination of a lunge, um, followed by a hamstring mobilization, followed by a rotation of the spine. It's a fairly complex movement. And, and they go 15 yards, 15 back. We then do hurdle step-unders uh, with hip flexion overs. It's a interesting move. Not sure I can describe it on a podcast. Um, but then they do those. And then we do... Typically light jogs forward, light jog backwards, um, lateral movements, jogging, skips, kind of those kind of things. And typically those are customized to the athlete. So I'm sorry if that's fairly vague. And the answer is because it has to be because we really customize those dynamic um, warm-ups to each player. Now we understand that teams will have a specific dynamic warm-up. And most of the time they'll cover most of those bases. But I usually tell the athletes, look, if you don't feel like you got the right spots, go out and hit it with this this program or hit different parts of the program that weren't hit in your team warm-up. So after we do the uh, dynamic warm-up, um, we have them go and target specific muscles and joints that are going to be used. So 
using the example of a baseball pitcher, this is where they're going to go and do rotator cuff exercises, just enough to get blood flow to the exor- uh, to the tissue and no more than that. And we typically have them do some throwing type motion, rotations of the shoulder with some plyo balls, nothing max effort, everything low effort to be able to just prime up the muscles to get them ready to start throwing. Now, that's a lot. And I typically, we timed it at one point to just, we were worried that our programs were getting too long or warm-up programs were getting too long. We timed it and it ended up being right around 25 minutes. And then we've truncated it down to just around 15 to 20 minutes now. And I feel like that's that's a nice time frame. Most guys on field are going to have about that amount of time. We try to make it, again, as game-like as possible that way that these routines are built in because to be honest a lot of i mean the the physical preparedness part of this is very important but there's such variability in all games that anywhere you can provide consistency in a routine or routines uh into games the better because then there's the mental preparation aspect that comes along with it that i think gives a lot of benefit to these athletes and so if they know they're going to go out they're going to do a specific routine it doesn't matter if it's hot or cold doesn't matter if the crowd's loud or there's no crowd doesn't mean it doesn't matter if they're playing on really good fields or really bad fields doesn't mean if they're playing for a state championship or they're in preseason it doesn't matter the the routine dials in their brain dials in their their heart rate and their emotions and everything that just allows them to, to create an era of stability uh, amidst maybe some higher high variability. And we know that there's improvements in performances there, sports performance, if there's some consistency in routine. So the, the answer is, uh, I don't have anything specific, but I definitely have a framework. And so if we want to really narrow down the framework, um, work on soft tissue, postural awareness, active mobility, dynamic warm-up, and then target specific uh, muscles that you're going to use. Typically in baseball and softball, that's going to be the throwing muscles. So you're going to do one set of band exercises, not to fatigue. And I think if you did that, you'd be just fine. Um, I don't know how old your son or daughter is, Matt. If they're youth, the big thing for youth, in my opinion... I don't, I don't like the static circle stretches where they count. Uh, it's just not my favorite. What I do like is that they come together as a team. They're bonding as a team. They get their hearts rate, heart rate up a little bit, and they get excited about the game. And that at some point, they, they get their heart rates up by running or moving their bodies. And then at some point, they do a few things, just get their arms moving uh, before they start throwing. Uh, I don't have anything super specific for youth. As soon as they start getting into the 13 to 15 to 16 year old up into high school, then we start getting more intricate and really dialing those things in. But in youth, get a move and get their heart rates up and let them have some fun. As you get a little bit older, those routines become more important because the mental aspect of the game becomes a little bit more important. So Matt, I hope that answers your questions. If you have more specific questions, shoot me an email, Mike at athletic-potential.com. That being said, if you do have questions at all, anybody listening, that's the same email, mike at athletic-potential.com. Please shoot me an email, and that's where we get our questions from, and we'll make sure to answer all of them. So let's go into question number two. This is um, from Will. I'm a right-hand pitcher and mainly come in as a relief pitcher. 
I know getting in my arm care is very important, but I'm not certain which exercises to perform on the days that I throw or pitch. He says pitch. What would you recommend I do? Great, great question. Um, what I have found, and I'll be honest, you asked me in four to six months, I'll probably change my answer a little bit. But what I have found to be working the most with our high school and pro guys, and I'm just kind of assuming you're a high school or college or pro guy, um, just based on how the question is worded. Um, what I have found is I, I try to teach this principle. And the first principle is one pitching slash throwing is an exercise. And so every time you go out and throw specifically at higher intensities, we'll use an outing. Every time you go out and throw at higher intensities, you are working the muscles that the arm care program is specifically designed to strengthen or to improve endurance. And so what you don't want to do is go out and throw a whole bunch and then fatigue all those muscles, make them tired, wear them down, and then go do 60, 70 more reps on them after that. It just, from a, from a physiological standpoint, that's really not your best, best idea. And so what I tell guys is throwing is an exercise. If you threw a lot that day, your exercise program, your arm care program needs to reflect that. Now, more specifically, what we I've been having guys do is this. You just pitched as a relief pitcher, so you got two innings. You're on you're doing band routine that day. You're gonna go do one one um one set of your normal band routine. And by the way, if your band routine's like 12 exercises, it, it, probably not a good idea. Uh our band routine is anywhere from three to six exercises, and that's it. I I feel like we can get a lot done in those six exercises and target almost everything we need to. So you, you're going to say you pitch, you're going to do bands that day. You do one set of anywhere from eight to 12 reps of each. The entire goal of those extra, of that exercise um, program right there is just to feel like you get a little bit of a blood pump to those muscles. That's it. They are fatigued. They are done. They've had enough for that day. All you're trying to do is get blood flow to those, to those muscles at that point. So that's what I'd recommend. Now, there's a, there's a bigger concept here, which we probably don't have time to discuss today. But when we talk about arm care, there's multiple types of arm care. In our case at Athletic Potential, right now we have a four-day arm care program, and each day is unique. We have a band routine. We have a free weight routine. We have an isometric routine, and we have a ballistics routine. And those things typically cycle from one day, one to two to three to four. And then they, people keep coming around and they just, every day they're doing something. Uh, we typically mix in at least one rest day. And what you would do as a reliever specifically starters are easier because we know when they're going to start and we, we can really customize their approach. But relievers, when you're not really sure one, when you're going to pitch and two, how many innings you're actually going to pitch then you know how many pitches you're actually going to throw. We, I typically like this routine where you're going to do, you know, today's your band day and you're going to do one set instead of three sets that day. Now, the day you don't throw, you're probably going to do three sets, um, depending on how your arm feels. And so to answer your question, if you're not doing a, a consistent arm care program right now, you need to make it consistent. Once it's consistent, the days that you normally or days that you pitch, and that would include bullpen, so anything high-intensity day, then you're going to do one set of those exercises, and that's it. 
on the days you don't throw, you're going to do three sets. Now, the big asterisk on this is you need to listen to your arm. If your arm's saying, I'm tired, then you're going to take that day off or you're only going to do one or two sets. If the arm's feeling okay and you're not going to, you, you didn't pitch that day, then go ahead and do more. Now that, one of the other things I, I want to emphasize with arm care, uh, and like I said, arm care is probably its own podcast, but one of the things I want to emphasize with arm care is it's always done post throwing. Remember exercise or throwing is an exercise. You don't want to do exercises, fatigue the muscles that are then going to go out and have to perform at higher intensities. So you can use certain exercises as warm ups, but remember it never is to fatigue and you're always prepping at that point. Once you're done playing, if you, if you pitch, then you're only going to do one set. If you didn't pitch, then, or didn't have high intensity throws that day, you can go ahead and do three sets. So Will, I hope that answers your question. I can tell you this, anybody that we work with uh, at Athletic Potential in regards to arm care programs, they're on a similar four-day program, but we definitely customize based on, are they a relief pitcher or starting pitcher, how old they are. Some guys are just weak and need good, lots of good work. And some guys have been playing for a long time. And what they really need is good mobility followed by a little bit of blood after every time they throw, regardless if it's high intensity or not. But in your case, Will, if you have questions, you can ask me, Mike at athletic-potential.com. We'll get you a more specific program. And that way we can kind of customize it to your needs and get what you need. So, but I hope that kind of gives everybody listening an idea of, hey, you know, if you're going to do exercises, make sure they're done after you throw. If you've already thrown or pitched that day, Probably better to do less exercise, just enough to get blood to the area. That's enough. Otherwise, you can kind of stick to the routine. But you got to have a consistent routine at the same time. All right. That was question number two. Our third question comes from Ashley. My son is an 11-year-old baseball player, and he pitches. He is wanting to learn to throw a curveball. When would you recommend kids start throwing curveballs? Now, this is uh, also, I mean, I feel like every baseball topic seems to be highly debated um, in a lot of ways, but the breaking ball conversation with youth athletes has been studied uh, in the research, and we also know that there's a lot of uh, anecdotal uh, experience-related recommendations. And so what I'll do is I'll give you my recommendations that we give to our athletes at Athletic Potential, and that is... One, uh, there's a there's a um, there's a governing body uh, um, uh, ASMI that has come out with um, guidelines for youth throwing um, pitch counts, when to start throwing breaking balls, all those type of things. And these these are the predominant researchers and surgeons and other practitioners in the space of baseball. Um, that are trying to improve the overall injury rates, uh, meaning decrease them in youth baseball players. And so these are the guys that come out, came out with, uh, they, they partnered with USA Baseball, came out with Pitch Smart. And if you Google that, you can probably see that. But ASMI uh, has a lot of good recommendations. And so one of the recommendations that came out of ASMI about youth baseball players learning breaking balls, curveballs, is that they probably shouldn't start throwing breaking balls until they are starting to grow facial hair if in regards to baseball. Now, 
uh, I feel like that's appropriate in a lot of ways because what that does obviously mean is that there's there's some scale of maturity that's happening. They're in they're you know in a, in a phase of life where they're transitioning. Bodies are getting bigger. They're getting stronger. Things are changing, and that's an okay time to start doing that. What I've been telling our athletes at Athlete Potential, specifically our youth players, is you need to go through a process, and you don't get to throw a curveball until you can do these things. And what I found is timing wise, they end up not throwing breaking balls until they start kind of get into this aging process. And so the first part of that process is, look, you got to learn to command your fastball. You got to be able to throw a fastball where you want to throw it. I know you're not gonna be perfect, but if you can't get around the zone every time with a fastball, usually means you cannot um, replicate your, your mechanics of throwing well enough to be able to throw something off speed. It just doesn't, or something that breaks. And so you have to learn to command your fastball first. Once you've learned to command your fastball, I highly recommend you learn to, to, to uh, throw a changeup. Um, I can tell a personal experience. I don't learn a changeup till high school. And I, I wish I learned it earlier because it's a highly effective pitch. Uh, and it's in regards to shoulder and elbow stress, it, it's minimal. It just, it, it doesn't create a whole lot. Uh, by the way, for those wondering, what's the most stressful pitch in baseball? They've studied this uh, up until professional ranks. And so guys that throw the hardest, the number one highest stretch pitch in baseball is the fastball. Not curveball. Um, there's some trends saying the slider is fairly stressful, but that also is because you throw it harder. But they found that the highest stress pitch in baseball right now is the fastball. And that's been heavily researched and heavily researched. So it's pretty hard to discredit now. So... Uh, going back, uh, learn. So you got to learn to command your fastball, learn uh, change up. Once you've learned the change up, be able to command the change up. And once you can command both the fastball and a change up, you can start throwing a breaking ball or a curveball. And what I have found is the kids that do this, they, they see a longer term improvement in success in baseball. And remember in youth baseball, it's not about how many strikeouts you can get when you're 11. It's about how many years you're going to end up playing baseball. Do you want to keep playing to high school, college, and professionally? It's about development. And this is a recommendation that I got from someone in uh, Major League Baseball saying that it's a scout. And they said, I typically ask a few questions. One of the questions I ask is, hey, did you learn? Do you know how to throw a changeup? Can you command your fastball? And if they really haven't done those things, then there's some development that needs to happen. Um, and so that's kind of how I'd ask you, uh, answer your question there, Ashley, is teach your son to command a fastball. Make sure you can throw it consistently for strikes, um, locate it uh, around the zone. Once he can do that, let's have somebody teach him a changeup. Um, there's, there's a lot of people out there that can throw changeups, and so I'm sure there's probably a good coach in your area that can help you with that. And then once he can throw a changeup and throw it for strikes and, and, you know, and command it, then let's get him, let's consider throwing a breaking ball at that point. So, and, and that may be really fast. He may, he may pick up the other two pitches and be able to command those things really well. He may have great mile mechanics and, and be able to replicate every throw. And, and he may be, may start throwing a curveball here in the next six months. I don't know. I've definitely seen guys learn three pitches when they're kids and be able to command all of them. And at that point, I'm always like, well, that's probably pretty good. And we're probably okay to let you go ahead and do that. I don't think there's any additional risk of that. And so, uh, go in that order and let's see how your son does. And hopefully he has some, some pretty good success. 
the big key with youth, and we've kind of covered this a little bit, but the big key with youth development here is that they really need to have fun first. Uh, teach them to love the game. Teach them the fundamentals. Get them involved in the game. Um, have them watch Major League Baseball players. Take them to a game if you've got a uh, Major League Baseball player or minor league or minor league baseball team, Major League Baseball team in your town. Go go let them watch the game. Watch it be played at high levels. You know, get them get them excited about it. Make sure it's something they love to do. And and I think you'll see this natural progression in in youth youth sport or youth players. And just teaching them to, to love the game and, and learn about the game. So hopefully that helps you, Ashley. I, I really appreciate your question. Um, all right. So let's transition to the takeaway. Before I do so, just remember, if you do have questions, please email me at mike at athletic-potential. We will answer any and all questions that we can. Um, and then, yeah, so today's takeaway, really, it sounds like we covered a little bit of youth baseball today. So our takeaway today is this. When it comes to youth baseball or youth softball or youth sports, uh, I'll, I'll specifically stick to baseball and softball. But realistically, the key here is teaching them the fundamentals. There is a lot out there about what your son or daughter should be doing. And I have an 11-year-old that's playing softball right now. My biggest goal for my 11-year-old is that she knows the fundamentals of the sport and that her basic movement patterns, how she throws a baseball or how she throws a softball. Um, she's a pitcher, so she wants to pitch. And so we're teaching her how to throw the windmill pitch. We're trying to teach her proper swing mechanics. We're, but realistically, I just want her to be really excited about playing on a team and being excited for her games and just enjoying the process of learning the sport. And I think in regards to youth sports, sometimes that gets a little bit lost in the hustle and bustle of, hey, we got to get him on this team. He's got to compete. He's got to he's got to go and play for all these teams to make sure he develops. He doesn't fall behind. But when we talk about youth sports, let's just kind of keep in perspective that we really want these kids to enjoy the game and teach them the fundamentals first, and and, and then as they are able to demonstrate good fundamental uh, fundamentals of the game, then let's let them progress and, and move up and, and develop into higher more advanced levels. And I think what you'll see is that the youth will do this on their own there. You know, I think we all know the kid that's just fully intrinsically motivated to go out and play. He's throwing balls up at everything that will, you know, rebound a ball back at him to take grounders or she's out there lobbing softballs up and hitting them into a field in the park just, just cause she wants to. And we really want these kids just to love this game. I love these games and, and just to enjoy them and, and have fun and, and to learn life skills while they're going through it. So, that's the takeaway for today's episode, and that looks like it'll wrap up episode four. I appreciate everybody that's listening. If you could, please, please, please rate and review. That'll help us to get out to more people so that we can get more questions and be able to help more people advance and progress to their overall athletic goals and, and achieve their full athletic potential. I appreciate it, and we'll get you next time. Mm-hmm.